So now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ that we might have life and hope. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. We say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the great sacrifice for the final sacrifice for our sin. And now, Lord, we come to you in heaven and we honor you and glorify you as our great high priest, our Lord and our King and our Savior. We say Jesus is Lord and we seek to live all of these days of life that you've given us to honor your name. We thank you, Lord, for the fellowship we have in this place together as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray now that as we come to this part of worship and we open the word of God, that we hear your word clearly. Our life depends on hearing your word clearly. The Holy Spirit will teach us if we will hear. So today, if we hear your voice, may there not be hard-heartedness in us. May there be receptiveness in us. May we put aside our own sin and receive the Word of God as it's implanted through preaching, through reading, through hearing. This is a special place. It's a special time for us. May we never neglect to see the importance and honor and glorify you each time we have the privilege of meeting here. We pray for Vacation Bible School. We pray for Pastor Ken and all of our leaders and um, the many, many seeds for the gospel that would be planted in the lives of dear boys and girls again. Thank you for the chance we have to do it, the opportunity to share the gospel with hundreds of boys and girls and with their moms and dads and their grandparents. May they sense those who are strangers who come among us this next week that we love you and that they can have a relationship with you. Help us to do our best. We thank you, Lord, now for this time, and we thank you for the fellowship we have in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, good morning. Good to see all of you. If you're a guest with us, I'm Pastor Mike. We're honored to have you. As, as Brother Tim mentioned earlier, please let us know if we can do anything for you. Even before you get away, go by the guest uh, area out there, uh, the, the, the uh, Welcome Center. We'd love to help you in any way. Hebrews chapter number six. Hebrews chapter number six. I want you to set your minds again with me in heaven. We need to go to heaven and set our minds today. Enough with the world, enough with the troubles and trials that each and one of us carry in this room. Today, we must set our minds again as Paul challenges us in other places. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. Boys and girls, today, Pastor Mike is going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ who is alive in another place called heaven. Beyond time and space beyond the troubles and trials of life and the wars and the difficulties of this world. He is there enthroned as king and also as he represents us as great high priest. We're making our way through the book of Hebrews in these various places to look at and understand why it's important for you as a believer to know and understand your Lord as high priest. Oh, I can promise you this matters. I ask you today, have you been with your high priest? I ask you today, have you been to heaven to speak with him about your own needs and burdens? I ask you today, do you know how to get to this high priest? Well, it comes 
by knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Hebrews chapter 6 is one of those uh, great chapters. It is a chapter of, of warning, but is also a chapter of great blessing. And we'll be looking primarily at verses uh, 19 and 20. But I am going to read just a few others with you today. And you've had time now to find your place. Without much comment, the first eight verses of Hebrews chapter 6 remind us that there are people just like among the early Jewish believers. There were some who gathered with the church who thought they were saved, but then they got uninterested and they really weren't Christians. They had some religious emotional experiences. They heard the Bible. They learned some things about God's word. But these ones that Paul describes as falling away, they, they, they lost their interest in the things of God. Did you know that happens in the church today? There are people who come along and they make some kind of, of a decision. They, they pray a prayer, but there's no fruit in their life. There's nothing that shows that they've genuinely been saved. Oh, they act religious. They may have a lot of Bible knowledge, but that doesn't mean that they're saved. And so Paul gives a warning here about the danger of those. And I give the same warning today. If, you, if you're here today and you are a religious person and you know some things about the Lord Jesus and you've learned by being in church, that does not guarantee you're saved. There are things that accompany salvation. There are things that show and reveal that you're saved. And so Paul begins, I'll read now Hebrews 6, 9, but beloved and I say this to you now, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. I'm speaking to the church here today of born-again believers. Notice he says, things that accompany salvation. Though we are speaking in this way, and that's what he's been talking about up above. For God is not unjust as to forget your work and the love with which you have shown to his name. I hope you hear that today if you're a follower of Jesus. God is not unjust. He never forgets what you do for others in the name of Jesus and for your love for Him. In having ministered and still ministering to the saints. Now, pick up especially verses 11 and 12. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Now, verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. That is, this hope enters within heaven. It's a hope set in heaven on Jesus Christ, where Jesus has entered as forerunner, as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of these wonderful, wonderful words. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our focus today is this, that believers live in confident hope since Jesus Christ is the eternal high priest. 
Maybe I should say it this way based on verse 11. Believers live in fullness of assurance of hope. Since Jesus Christ is the eternal high priest. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Living with fullness of hope as a believer is the normal Christian life. Living with fullness of hope as a believer. This is the way we live on our way to heaven. This is what people see in us. They see these two wonderful qualities in our life. Faith in God and fullness of hope. Confident hope that what God promises, it's an expectation. I spent a long time with you, uh, way back a ways, I'm too old to remember when it was, we talked about hoping in God and we looked at what it means to hope in God in detail through the Word of God. It is an expectancy. It's not a wishfulness. Oh, maybe it'll come through. Maybe God will come through. No, no, no. You see, the hope that we have as a result of knowing Jesus Christ is confident hope. And so today, today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are realizing, I'm going now to verse 11, I'm realizing the full assurance of hope until the end of my life. This is what you carry to the end of your life. In this world of woes, in this world of trouble, in this world of bad news, in this world of people who disappoint you, in this world of pain and sickness and trouble, to the end of your life you live, you realize as you walk with God by faith, the fullness of assurance of hope comes to protect your mind and to protect your heart. You see, this keeps us from sluggishness, verse 12, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So I have three observations for you today, and I'll be quick with the first two. I want to linger at verses 19 and 20 for a few moments. Number one, believers, as I've already been saying, live in enduring faith and confident hope in the promises of God. Look, you and I, none of us in this room have ever seen the Lord Jesus with our own physical eyes. We've, we've never seen Him. We've never heard His blessed voice as He taught the Word of God. We've never heard the words that fell from His blessed mouth. We've never had the privilege of touching Him with our hands to experience what so many did who just got close enough to touch Him. The little children coming and rushing to be with Him. You see... All we have are the promises of God in the Word of God. But that is enough for us. The promises of God in the Word of God are enough for us so that we might have full hope in God through Jesus Christ. That's where your assurance comes. That's where the fullness of assurance comes. Lord willing, in the days ahead, I'm going to talk to this church in detail about what it looks like to have assurance, blessed assurance of salvation, and what that's all about. So what we learn today is this, because Jesus Christ is in heaven as our high priest, we have full assurance of hope as we live in this world, and it's based on the promises of God. Look, full, full assurance of hope means the fear's gone, the anxiety's gone, the doubts are gone because we, we stand on the promises of God in Christ. 
I'm speaking to many of you today. Your heart's been, your mind's been struck by fear because you've heard news recently that's troubled you, haven't you? So when you hear the news, how does your, how does your mind go? Does it go to fear or does it go to trust and hope? This becomes very important in all of our lives. I, along with you, we all go through life and experience the various ups and downs and the things that come to us. You see, full assurance of hope is that wonderful blessing of removing fear and anxiety and doubt from my life. When I'm, when I'm fearful, when I'm anxious, and when I'm doubting, I have to go back and say to myself, Now, Mike, where is your trust in God? Where's your confidence in the promises of God? They're sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Full assurance is confidently enduring in faith regardless of what you go through. Full assurance is having eternal life and living by the promises of God every day of your life. Look, there's not a day that goes by that you cannot, must not, you cannot make it without living on the promises of God. So that we act on faith and as you respond to the promises of God by faith, guess what? Hope rises in your life. Secondly, and this is what he's saying here in verses 11 and 12. Now, down he goes and gives an illustration of how God promised Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would give him and provide for him and bless him. And that he would bless him and that he would multiply him and make a great nation of him. Those are the verses from verse 13, if you have your Bible, through verse 18. I want to say this to you, my friend. You know the greatest assurance that comes in my life? The promises of God are the assuring words of God to me in my life. The promises of God are the assuring words of God. You know, when you're in trouble, <clears throat> so, so um, you know, little children, they, they, they get hurt or they're and they want someone to assure them. They want someone to assure them that they're going to be all right. Our little two-year-old was mowing the grass with his little mower and he fell down and he says to me, Q, I think I need to go to the hospital. I said, no, you're going to be all right. You know, assurance, assurance. He wasn't mowing with a real lawnmower. I just want one. He was mowing with his little lawnmower. But you see, God's assurance comes through his promises. What God has promised is a sense of his assurance. For when God made the promise, verse 13, to Abraham, he could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself and he said, I will I will. This is assurance. The promises of God are the assurance of God to those who will believe them. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. Multiply you. And then what do we see? 15. So Abraham patiently waited for the promise of God and he obtained the promise. He received it because he accepted it by faith. For men, when men swear by one greater than themselves, 16... With, they give an oath so that they confirm and it makes an end to the whole issue. In other words, the oath settles the promise. We read so that by two unchangeable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, his oath and his promise, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. 
So God assures believers by His unchanging person and promises. You can count on the fact that what God promises, He will do. Assurance in God's promises is guaranteed by the very holy character of our God in His holiness and sealed, as I've said, by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. When you look at the cross, remember, it is the statement of ultimate promise. It is a statement of ultimate assurance. God assures you and me so that we might have assurance. Are you listening? I don't generate assurance out of myself. Some of you in this room are trying to be, you're waiting for the latest word on some medical thing. You're waiting for the latest word on some decision that has to be made at your job or something with your kids. You're waiting, you're waiting for assurance from the wrong sources. The only steady, sure assurance comes from the promises of God in Christ. And as we're going to see in the fact that Jesus Christ is alive in heaven and he gives us sure promises. I'm asking you today, what do you base your assurance on? And are you, as verse 11 says, realizing full assurance of hope or are you fully hopeless in your life? You know, we hear it on the news a lot and it's sad to see it at any age, but we've seen the reports of a large growing number of young people who've taken their lives. And what is the report always? They had nothing to live for. They had nothing to look forward to. They did not understand the importance of biblical hope. What does Paul say? Paul says, every person without Jesus Christ is without God, listen, and without hope. Every person you look into their eyes and see who does not know Jesus Christ is a hopeless, hopeless person. Until they come to know Jesus, why do we do vacation Bible school? Why do we have our mission team in Wyoming? Why do we send them to Cuba? Why do we go around the world to India? Why do we go and do the, why do we give what we give collectively with other churches so that we might send more missionaries? Because every person without Jesus Christ is living a hopeless life facing a hopeless eternity if they do not know Jesus. What will it take for the American church to wake up and get busy with what we're called to do? So verse 11 is we realize as believers as we walk by faith, we realize full assurance of hope until the end. But wait a minute, did you catch the phrase in Verse number 18, we who have taken refuge. He's using a description here of what it means to be saved. David uses that phrase refuge. God is his refuge all through the Psalms. Well, he was hiding in rocks and caves because people were truly, Saul and others were trying to kill him. He found a hiding place. Your hiding place is when you're saved is the Lord Jesus Christ. He becomes your refuge. He is the one who he, you have security and hiding in the storms of life through him. But read that verse carefully. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that is set before us. All right, here you sit in your troubles today. Here you are. <clears throat> trying to endure the storms of life that have come your way. Well, it's interesting. 
It's interesting. We read in verse number 14 of chapter 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, look at this, hold on, hold fast our confession. That's what I hold on to. But now I need to take hold of something else. You're sitting in your storm. What must you do? Trust in God, the promises of God that He's given, and take hold of hope for the future. You see, followers of Jesus today, your future goes far beyond this world. Are you listening to Pastor Mike? Your future is before you. And the future you have beyond this world is far greater and longer than ever you'll spend on the earth. What's before you? I ask you to go to heaven right now. To the place of eternal majesty and glory. To the presence of God. To the eternal place where there is no beginning, no ending. Above time and space. Where our Lord is seated gloriously as King and and our high priest, I ask you to go there. This is the, seize this. This word that means here in verse number 18, to take hold. It's a word that means to grab it, to seize it. What do you need every day of your life in the storms of life? You need to take hold. You need to seize the hope that you have in the promises of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way we live on our way to heaven. We hold on to our confession. I asked you last week, I'll ask you again. Is there anything in your life that will shake you and make you give up your confession that Jesus is Lord? What will it take? What news can come in your life? What tragedy may happen? What difficulties make? Is there anything that will shake you from your confident confession in Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what he means in chapter 414. We have a high priest passed through the heavens. We hold on to our confession no matter what kind of news, whatever kind of condition we must live in. We hold on to our confession, but we take hold of hope because we see beyond today. We see beyond today. So you say, Pastor Mike, how do I see beyond today? Through the promises of God that point to Jesus Christ who is somewhere. Read the rest of your Bible, verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. This hope is set on someone who's gone to heaven. That's the language entering through the veil. It's the language of the high priest in the Old Testament who would go in once a year to the Holy of Holies and there would enter the veil and then come out after sin was atoned for. No, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, has entered into heaven permanently except when he comes to return in glory, to finish up the work he has been given to do, where Jesus has entered as our forerunner, a forerunner for us. 20, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. It leads me now quickly to this third point. Let me talk about it and elaborate. You see, believers have a fullness of assurance in the world because we've set our hope on Jesus Christ who's gone ahead of us to heaven. And he's there as our high priest. 
Everything's set for you as a follower of Jesus. You know, many of you have read the old Pilgrim's Progress. The old Pilgrim's Progress, what is Pilgrim doing? He's on his way to the celestial city. He's on his way and he encounters all the various troubles and difficulties of this life. It's the same for every believer in this room. I don't know who has sold you a bill of goods that you're going to have no bad days. You're going to have no trouble. Someone's lied to you. You get saved and it'll just be glory every day. Sunshine everywhere and nothing else. No, my friends, you see, we need a refuge. You need a refuge because there's trouble and storms. And the Lord Jesus is our refuge. And we take hold when we come to know Him. We hold on to our our confession, but we take hold of hope in Jesus and the promises of God. I want you to think about this anchor of your hope. Your hope in Jesus Christ anchors you. An anchored soul. Let me just for a moment talk about an anchored soul. Are, do you have an... You see, the only... Look, the difficulties of life will push you around mentally. They'll push you around. The circumstances of life, just living in this world, will push you around mentally and emotionally. And if you count on that to be, no wonder you're happy one day and sad the next day. And then sad and then happy. And then sad, sad, sad. And then sometimes happy, happy. You're allowing the circumstances of your life to determine your emotional condition. Affecting your faith, by the way. Affecting your hope in God. I said to you, this is a description of the believer. If you're saved, here are things that accompany salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ, that's permanent and you keep, you stay with it all the days of your life until the end of your life. And hope rises and you grow in full assurance of hope. You know what's amazing to me? Talking with people who've had real troubles and sadness in their life who are believers... I have met in my life some of the most hopeful people who have put their hope in Jesus Christ who are living in such pitiful, hard conditions. Why is that? How is it that the early church could sing on the way to being killed because they understood faith and full assurance of hope set before them? They knew that this was not the end. This was the beginning. This is the start of something new and glorious. And I say to some of you today, because you're so temporal minded, because you're so focused on just this world and this is all it's going to be, you're living and thinking like worldly people. That's all they have. That's all they have to try to stay young, to try to make it as much as they can and hold on to all of their stuff because that's the way they're going to have satisfaction when it's gone. When it's gone... Well, it's going to belong to someone else. My friend sent me a text message because he knows I'm, I always laugh about it. He sent me this text message that in Texas, of course, only in Texas, they had a hundred mile long garage sale. I rest my case. There's my point. When you're gone, they're going to have a garage sale with your stuff because it doesn't matter to them. Got a few amens in here. So get rid of it now. You'll be happy. I love you, brothers and sisters, but you know what? When your soul's not anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ, you get spun all around. 
I was just thinking of some ways that the old that the, that the word of God describes you. Know, and I could elaborate here, but I'll just quickly say this: an anchored soul is a waiting soul. David said, "And now, Lord, and now, see in his circumstance." And he said this in the Psalms: "A waiting soul is an anchored soul." And now, Lord, right now, and now, Lord, what do I do? I wait. My hope is in you. You see, an anchored soul is a waiting soul. An anchored soul is a quiet soul. Not all stirred up and not in turmoil. An anchored soul is a quiet soul. David said, my soul waits in silence on God only for my hope is from Him. An anchored soul is a waiting, quiet soul, but an anchored soul is also a tested soul. Paul was describing this in Romans 5 when he says that perseverance, enduring in our life by faith leads to proven character. And proven character leads to hope. You see, until you've been tested, you'll not understand what it means to hope. What is there to hope in when you've had no trouble? And an anchored soul is an expectant soul because hope never disappoints. So we read this to see in verse 19 that this hope we've taken hold of of the, of the future is set on heaven. I am sure and steadfast no matter what comes in my life because my mind is set on the Lord Jesus who is in heaven as my permanent high priest. He is, he is there, my dear friends, and He has entered the veil. He lives within the veil and He remains within the veil until He comes again. The Lord Jesus has gone to heaven. Notice this in 20. He's our forerunner. Just about to finish. He's our forerunner. A forerunner. What does this word mean? A forerunner. One who had... Listen, this is what a forerunner, as it's used here, is the Lord Jesus has entered as the one who goes in advance to a place where the rest will follow. That's what He is for us. He is our forerunner. He is in the place <clears throat> making arrangements for us so that we might join Him. The most joyful thing in my life is not something I'm going to find on this earth. The most joyful thing in life is to know that heaven is my home and I have a place there. I have an inheritance promised to me, eternal life. And praise God forever. I get to sing. Did we not sing it today? Enjoy the joys and pleasures of heaven, whatever they are beyond description, forever and ever and with the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people. You see, Jesus Christ today has gone to heaven so that believers may follow Him to heaven from earth. When you set your mind on heaven, you're just thinking about a big family reunion. That's the way the world thinks of heaven. First of all, the world thinks everybody's going to go to heaven. Second of all, that they're going to be, you know, everybody's going to be up there with having potato salad in heaven. That's what we're going to do up there, have potato salad. And all kinds of country music and whatever you want to do. It'd be segmented off. It'd be just like the world. Who wants to go to a heaven like that? There are Christians that this seeps into their mind. Well, you know, it's about mama and it's about daddy and 
about Bubba and whatever else. My friend, the Word of God says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. I'm going to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Where are you going? Well, Pastor Mike, I don't know. You see, that's why we learn to love Him here. So that we might appreciate what it's like to be in heaven. What did Peter the Apostle say? Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. With joy unspeakable, full of glory. Why? Because you'll soon be there with Him. So what do we need to remember and do today as we finish today? Well, God has promised in Christ. He has promised in Christ. Look, there's not anything God <clears throat> needs to promise you that does not come through Jesus Christ. What did Paul say? <clears throat> in Christ, the promises of God are yes and amen. You see, faith in Christ, my friend, I'm talking about you today. <clears throat> Don't sit in here like this is some lecture about some kind of uh, ideas and philosophies you might want to consider. Look, I'm talking to you about life and death here. You do know that you'll have a death day as well as a birthday. You do know that <clears throat> there's only a <clears throat> certain amount of time that you've been given by God. What are you going to do with it? Some of us act like we're going to get all kinds of delays and just do whatever we want. No, look, faith in Christ produces hope in Christ as our refuge and hiding place. You need a place to hide on this earth when you are in the troubles and difficulties of life and in the good times of life. Where's your hiding place? Well, faith and hope in Christ, the eternal high priest, produces what I've been talking about all morning, this fullness of assurance of hope on the earth. It's fullness of assurance of hope. I'm assured of my hope. Because I have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may I again say to you today, praise God, He's gone there within the veil, the Lord Jesus. And there in heaven, He is making that place so that we might follow Him to heaven from earth. So what did the old hymn say? I won't sing it. Thank God you don't have to hear that. Then let our songs abound. And every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high. To fairer worlds on high. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion. The beautiful city of God. To the praise of the glory of His grace, the Lord is near the door. Come, Lord Jesus.